0: Section 1 of Good Sense This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline Good Sense by Paul-Henri Thierry Baron Dolbach Translator Unknown Section 1 Parts 1 through 10 Part 1. Apologue There is a vast empire governed by a monarch whose strange conduct is to confound the minds of his subjects. He wishes to be known, loved, respected, obeyed, but never shows himself to his subjects and everything conspires to render uncertain the ideas formed of his character. The people subjected to his power have of the character and laws of their invisible sovereign such ideas only as his ministers give them they however confess that they have no idea of their master that his ways are impenetrable his views and nature totally incomprehensible these ministers likewise disagree upon the commands which they pretend have been issued by the sovereign whose servants they call themselves They defame one another and mutually treat each other as impostors and false teachers. The decrees and ordinances they take upon themselves to promulgate are obscure. They are enigmas, little calculated to be understood or even divined by the subjects, for whose instruction they were intended. The laws of the concealed monarch require interpreters but the interpreters are always disputing upon the true manner of understanding them. Besides, they are not consistent with themselves. All they relate of their concealed prince is only a string of contradictions. They utter concerning him not a single word that does not immediately confute itself. They call him supremely good, yet many complain of his decrees. They suppose him infinitely wise. AND UNDER HIS ADMINISTRATION EVERYTHING APPEARS TO CONTRADICT REASON. THEY EXTOL HIS JUSTICE, AND THE BEST OF HIS SUBJECTS ARE GENERALLY THE LEAST FAVORED. THEY ASSERT HE SEES EVERYTHING, YET HIS PRESENCE AVAILS NOTHING. HE IS, SAY THEY, THE FRIEND OF ORDER, YET THROUGHOUT HIS DOMINIONS ALL IS IN CONFUSION AND DISORDER. HE MAKES ALL FOR HIMSELF and the events seldom answer his designs. He foresees everything, but cannot prevent anything. He impatiently suffers offense, yet gives everyone the power of offending him. Men admire the wisdom and perfection of his works, yet his works, full of imperfection, are of short duration. He is continually doing and undoing, repairing what he has made, but is never pleased with his work. In all his undertakings he proposes only his own glory, yet is never glorified. His only end is the happiness of his subjects, and his subjects for the most part want necessaries. Those whom he seems to favor are generally least satisfied with their fate. Almost all appear in perpetual revolt against a master whose greatness they never cease to admire whose wisdom to extol, whose goodness to adore, whose justice to fear, and whose laws to reverence, though never obeyed. The empire is the world, this monarch God. His ministers are the priests, his subjects mankind. 2. What is theology? There is a science that has for its object only things incomprehensible. Contrary to all other sciences, it treats only of what cannot fall under our senses. Hobbes calls it the kingdom of darkness. It is a country where everything is governed by laws contrary to those which mankind are permitted to know in the world they inhabit. In this marvelous region, light is only darkness. Evidence is doubtful or false, impossibilities are credible, reason is a deceitful guide, and good sense becomes madness. This science is called theology, and this theology is a continual insult to the reason of man. 3. What is theology? By the magical power of ifs, buts, perhapses what do we know, etc., heaped together, a shapeless and unconnected system is formed, perplexing mankind by obliterating from their minds the most clear ideas and rendering uncertain truths most evident. By reason of this systematic confusion, nature is an enigma. The visible world has disappeared to give place to regions invisible. Reason is compelled to yield to imagination, who leads to the country of her self-invented chimeras. 4. Man is not born with any ideas of religion. The principles of every religion are founded upon the ideas of a god. Now, it is impossible to have true ideas of a being who acts upon none of our senses, All our ideas are representations of sensible objects. What then can represent to us the idea of God which is evidently an idea without an object? Is not such an idea as impossible as an effect without a cause? Can an idea without an archetype be anything but a chimera? There are, however, divines who assure us that the idea of God is innate or that we have this idea in our mother's womb. Every principle is the result of reason. All reason is the effect of experience. Experience is acquired only by the exercise of our senses. Therefore, religious principles are not founded upon reason and are not innate. 5. It is not necessary to believe in a god. Every system of religion can be founded only upon the nature of God and man and upon the relations which subsist between them. But to judge of the reality of those relations we must have some idea of the divine nature. Now the world exclaims the divine nature is incomprehensible to man, yet ceases not to assign attributes to this incomprehensible God. And to assure us that it is our indispensable duty to find out that God whom it is impossible to comprehend. The most important concern of man is what he can least comprehend. If God is incomprehensible to man, it would seem reasonable never to think of him. But religion maintains man cannot with impunity cease a moment to think or rather dream of his God. Six religion is founded on credulity. We are told that divine qualities are not of a nature to be comprehended by finite minds. The natural consequence must be that divine qualities are not made to occupy finite minds. But religion tells us that the poor finite mind of man ought never to lose sight of an inconceivable being whose qualities he can never comprehend. Thus, we see, religion is the art of turning the attention of mankind upon subjects they can never comprehend. 7. All religion is an absurdity. Religion unites man with God, or forms a communication between them. Yet, do they not say, God is infinite? If God be infinite, no finite being can have communication or relation with him. Where there is no relation, there can be no union, communication, or duties. If there be no duties between man and his God, there is no religion for man. Thus, in saying God is infinite, you annihilate religion for man, who is a finite being. The idea of infinity is to us an idea without model, without archetype, without object. Eight, The idea of God is impossible. If God be an infinite being, there cannot be, either in the present or future world, any relative proportion between man and his God. Thus the idea of God can never enter the human mind. In supposition of a life in which man would be much more enlightened than in this, the idea of the infinity of God would ever remain the same distance from his finite mind. Thus the idea of God will be no more clear in the future than in the present life. Thus intelligences superior to man can have no more complete ideas of God than man who has not the least conception of him in his present life. Nine on the origin of superstition. How has it been possible to persuade reasonable beings that the thing most impossible to comprehend was most essential to them? It is because they have been greatly terrified, because when they fear they cease to reason, because they have been taught to mistrust their own understanding, because when the brain is troubled they believe everything and examine nothing. Ten, ON THE ORIGIN OF ALL RELIGION Ignorance and fear are the two hinges of all religion. The uncertainty in which man finds himself in relation to his god is precisely the motive that attaches him to his religion. Man is fearful in the dark, in moral as well as physical darkness his fear becomes habitual and habit makes it natural he would think that he wanted something if he had nothing to fear end of section one recording by roger Moline.